comes to the topic of Scripture, I have found that usually Scripture is synonymous with feelings of guilt because I'm not doing enough, right? Can anyone relate to that? Like you go to church and you hear a youth pastor say, we got to read our Bibles, or you go to camp and someone like me says, hey, what about reading your Bible? And what happens is, because we know that we're not doing maybe as good as we can, or there's always room to do more, we feel like, I'm not doing a good enough job. But this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to separate those feelings and let's talk about scripture for what it is. Because if we can put on like a fresh way of thinking, and maybe you've never heard any of this, and so it'll be exactly that for you. This is going to be a new topic of conversation. In any case, my goal for the next 25 minutes is to paint a picture for you of what the Bible is that just like one of those little samples at Costco, it just makes you go, I want more of that, right? Anyone? Like, you knew pandemic was over when Costco rolled out the, the samples again. It was like, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of John, chapter 1, and we're just going to read a couple verses right out of this as we dive into it today. John, chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 19. John 1, verse 19. Here we go. We all there? Good? Perfect. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, then who are you? Give us the answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, proclaiming, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him asked him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Pray with me today, my friends. God, we thank you for a beautiful morning in the mountains. The tall trees, the blue sky, the crisp air, you are good to us. We want to just say thank you for a chance to be here. As we open up your word, something that is oftentimes misunderstood, a tool that can be used to guilt, to shame, and to make us feel as though we have fallen short when it comes to spending time in it. God, I pray this morning that your spirit would do a supernatural work in our hearts, helping us to understand the place of this book in the life of those who would follow you. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one of my uh, pandemic hobbies, anyone pick up any hobbies over the pandemic? Yeah, what was your hobby? Right here. Yep. Yeah, my man. What about you? Cooking. What do you like to cook? 
Prove it. That's what all I have to say. Dude, he's a baker. You've been you've been making all kinds of stuff. What about you over here? What is it? Okay. Well, I missed the first word. Oh, sim racing. Got it. So is that a drone or is that like VR type thing? Perfect. Awesome. What about behind you? What about you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, pro tip, couple dots, just a couple dots of soy sauce on your steak. Doesn't taste like Chinese food, but it helps. Yeah, right here. You learned how to ride a bike. You lost your training wheels. Let's go. Yeah, in the back. Cool hairdo. You got to be real loud. MMA. Prove it. Okay, and then very back, very back. You got to stand up. Did you say Joe Rogan? What did he say? Game. I heard candy, I heard Rogan, and then gaming. Got it. Okay. He likes to eat candy, listen to Joe Rogan, play Minecraft. Deal. All right, right here. Bass Pro Hat. Trump rallies. Okay, well. All right, you're going to really love mine then. Yep, right there. Yep. Eating. Okay, amen. All right. Here's what I, here's what I want to tell you. The hobby that I picked up over the pandemic uh, was not Trump rallies. Um, cooking made the list. Joe Rogan, not so much. Uh, I knew how to ride a bike, but I did a lot of bike riding. So welcome to the bike club. But the thing that I found my deepest joy during the pandemic doing was buying stuff I didn't need on Amazon. Huh? Yeah. I mean... Every single day, you go to the door when the ring goes off, and you're like, what is it? You already know what it is. You ordered it, but you still give it that little shake, right? And Amazon does it right. They don't give you that tape that's hard to open. No, they let you give you, like, punchable tape. You're just all, yeah, boom, yes, got my stuff. Well, my son, my youngest son, picked up on this hobby of mine, and so he saved up his money to buy himself grips for his skimboard, very specific here, but my son got into skimboarding. He has a fiberglass skimboard. He likes to go out in the sand, ride the wave back. So he orders this grip for his skimboard. And for three days, he stands at the window every time the ring went off, hoping that potentially this is the moment where his consumeristic joy can be fulfilled by that beautiful brown box with black and blue tape. Can you relate to that feeling, to that sentiment? Yeah, that feeling of anticipation. What else in life is like that feeling of anticipation? Christmas night, or Christmas morning rather, when you wake up and you're like, Santa really did come. And your parents are like, yeah, he did. Santa's broke now, but he came. He did. Right, maybe, maybe some of you have just been waiting so desperately to get into middle school. And being here at camp is like the inauguration of being a middle schooler. That feeling of anticipation, that palpable feeling of not being able to wait like a four-year-old on their first trip to Disneyland is exactly the feeling that we read here in John 1.19. Okay? Let me point something out to you that we may have missed in our reading of this, but I want you to see what's going on. In this exchange between John the Baptist and the Pharisees, we see something happen beneath the surface, but it's right in front of our eyes. 
It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Anyone know what a Pharisee is? A Pharisee. Yeah, right here. What's a Pharisee? Called on you. Got him. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. What's your name? Give it up for Nate, guys. So the religious leaders would have been like what what a pastor is today. These were people who knew a lot about God. These are people who, from the outside perspective, you had to be acquainted with in order to understand, to know, and to grow in your knowledge and wisdom of who God is. And these guys, for the most part, get harped on by Jesus throughout his ministry because they had taken something that was supposed to be beautiful, a sacred role, much like that of what your youth pastor has, someone whose job it is to shepherd souls more and more into the likeness and image of Christ as we grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Like a pastor, a priest, a Levite in the first century would have been someone who had majority of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible specifically memorized. Like this would have been people who knew in the beginning God. They would have been able to give you deep insight into that. What's my point? My point is that there's a message within the pages of Scripture that cued the religious leaders here in this passage of Scripture to be looking for something. Just like my son did when he ordered that grip for his skimboard on Amazon, and that anticipation grew, what we see here in John 1 are religious leaders who are ripe with anticipation for something that was promised in the Old Testament to come to fruition. Are you tracking with me? So look at what happens. They're questioning John the Baptist. It says that John the Baptist did not fail to confess, but confessed freely I am not the Messiah. So we see that John the Baptist, this prolific, uh, this prolific dude who the word tells us wore a vest made of camel skin and ate locusts and honey, that his role, as we see in John 1, was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. The religious leaders see the following that John the Baptist had and what he was doing in baptizing people with water. And they came to him, and they had a question. They said, hey, are you the one who was talked about? Because we've been waiting with anticipation for him to show up. We've been waiting for the Messiah to come. Is that you? To which John the Baptist responds, it is not me. In fact, there is one coming who's even greater than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. I rhymed. I should have done those videos. What's the point, though? The point is that for John the Baptist and the first century religious leaders, their time in Scripture gave them reason to hope for a promise of God to be fulfilled in their lifetime. Now, the Bible is this wild book. The Bible is this oftentimes misunderstood thing that exists within the Christian faith. And so let me just share briefly with you some of the things that the Bible is 
and some of the things that the Bible is not so that we can see what caused these religious leaders to be waiting with anticipation for Jesus to come. Okay? So if you're taking notes, let me rapid fire some thoughts about the Bible to you. Right? Nowadays, the general narrative about Scripture, like if we look at the cultural clues of what the average person thinks about the Bible, you're going to get a couple answers. You'll have people who call it the good book. You'll have people who think that it's filled with really wonderful religious teachings, but in fact, there are multiple books that are filled with wonderful religious teachings. You might have people who think that the Bible is misogynistic, that it's constantly pushing women down, holding people back. You may have people who think that the Bible has been used as a tool to start wars, and therefore it cannot be a good book. You have people who are even within the context of Christianity who treat this book as though this book is God himself, which it's not. So amongst these misunderstandings about what the Bible is, what is the Bible? Now the word Bible comes from a Latin word which quite literally means library. What that means is this, that this book, hold it up if you have it, this book is a library of books. It's not just one book. It's actually 66 different books. And these 66 different books were written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time. Just pause for a second and think about that. The Bible is a library of books written by over 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time on three different continents. Can you guess the continents? Europe, Asia, and Africa. Okay? So the Bible is this massive thing. You can already begin to understand why it's easy to misunderstand the Bible. Why? Because there's a lot going on here. Not only that, but there's different writing styles within the pages of our Bibles. You have historical narrative, places like Genesis and Exodus, telling this historical story of how God's people came to be. You have poetic language, books like Psalms, wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You have epistles that would be letters written to early churches to help them grow in their knowledge and understanding of who God is and ultimately Christian doctrine so that these churches could be healthy. You have prophetic books like Ezekiel and Revelation. These would be books telling us of something that is to come. It's so important when you take time to read the Bible, especially if your background is anything like mine, where scripture reading can oftentimes be found synonymous with things like guilt and shame because you're not doing enough, or maybe you simply have an imbalance in your mind that doesn't allow you to focus, you have to know that when we show up to open the pages of scripture, we are quite literally opening up a library of books that hold one consistent message all throughout. So just think about this. 66 different authors, 40 books, 1,500-year period of time on three different continents. All of it is telling one consistent story, and that would be what? Specifically, this book is telling us about the story of Jesus and how through Jesus, relational unity with God could be repaired and brought back as it was in the garden. 
The story of Scripture is that Jesus has come and is coming back to right the wrongs that sin has caused in this world. The other thing that the Bible does for us is that the Bible doesn't seek to prove God's existence. In fact, the Bible uh, writes and, and, and reads as though God's existence is presupposed. Meaning what? Meaning the Bible is going to give us a very accurate history of who God is, how we showed up on the scene, and what he's doing to work within the hearts of people who follow him to ultimately bring people who are dead in their sins, far from God, back into the family of God. Okay? That's what the Bible is. If you have more questions about that, your youth pastor would love to help you out. Just ask them. They'll answer any question you have on this topic. Okay? Perfect. So look at what happens back in John 1, verse 21 through 23. They begin to question John the Baptist. They ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You see, John's response to being asked who he was is a response taken right out of the book of Isaiah. You don't have to turn here, but let me, let me turn here for you and read this to you. Look at how similar this language is. And this would have been written hundreds of years apart. Look at how similar this language is in, in Isaiah 53, verse 1 through 5. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and was held in low self-esteem. Ready? Check this out. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, for by his wounds we are healed. John the Baptist knew who he was, because he had spent time in Scripture better understanding who God is. The religious leaders, the pastors of the day, knew to look for a Messiah, and John fit some of that description. They had hopefulness that he was the one who was to come. What caused them to confront John the Baptist and go, are you this guy, Isaiah 53? Are you the one who's going to be pierced for our transgressions? Are you the one who's going to pay for our sin? Are you the one who we're going to find peace with God through because of your sacrifice? And John goes, bad news? No, it's not me. Good news, he's coming. Do you see how time in Scripture lends itself for us to hope for things? Man, I don't know about you, but I have been going through it lately. For the last, like, three years, life has been hard. I have buried friends. I have lost friends. I have, I have um, 
exhausted myself trying to shepherd people through a pandemic only to see them go to a church that was more politically aligned or, or held their opinions higher. I have been lonely, exhausted, trying to teach the Bible on Zoom to people who aren't even showing their cameras. Like, this has been an incredibly difficult couple of years. And it's okay for us to admit that. Whether or not you have experienced that, that's okay. Some of us have had a really hard time. Do you know what's given me hope through all this? Jesus has. Do you know how do I look to Jesus? Do you know how I look to Jesus for hope? Because I spend time in Scripture. When Jesus says, hey, you can cast your burdens on me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, I know that to be true about God because I've spent time in the book. When Jesus says that in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars, that people will only want to hear what their itching ears desire, do you know how I know to long for the second coming of Jesus, that he's preparing a place for us? that he's gone to make a home for everybody who has a relationship with him? Do you know how my soul knows to long for that day in the same way John the Baptist and the Levites did in this passage here in John? Because I spend time in the book. You see, when we spend time in the written account of God's character, our souls begin to be formed and molded and shaped to hope for, to long for, and to hunger for things that are supernatural and not of this world. The Bible is this incredibly fascinating thing that has the power through the Holy Spirit to transform your life to be more like Jesus. There's a very famous passage in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to turn there for me with this one, okay? If you have a pen or a highlighter, I want you to put a star next to this, and I want you to come back to this verse at another time. Because this is powerful. Ready? 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16. You there? Waiting, waiting. Second Timothy. We're all gonna we're all gonna look at this one because I think it's important. Second Timothy chapter three, starting at verse sixteen. All right, here it goes. It sounds like this. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. It says all scripture. All of Scripture is God-breathed, meaning God has influenced these words through all 66 of those different authors to tell us the story about who He is, for what purpose. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. That's what we're doing here. You are learning from the Word of God about the place of Scripture in the life of a believer. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. Meaning this, there's going to be times in our life where we fall into sin, where we get off track. There'll be times in your life where you think you're right because God's word says everyone is wise in their own eyes. And someone, probably your pastor, a counselor, or a good friend is going to say, hey, 
you're not living in accordance with the ways of Jesus. How do I know? Because you're going against what God's word has told us to do. Second Timothy tells us that scripture is good for that purpose. And then lastly, it says that it's good for correcting and training in righteousness. For what purpose? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just like, just like if you couldn't do one push-up and you tried, it would be really hard. It would be exhausting. But you gave yourself to it. You're like, the next day, I'm going to do one push-up. And you nail one push-up. And maybe by the end of that week, you can do three, unbroken. If you keep at it, if you keep working towards it, then in three months, you might be able to do 50. And in six months, you might be able to do 150. Why? Because you worked at it. What Paul writes to his servant Timothy here in the book of 2 Timothy is that Scripture has the ability to form and mold and shape us in that same way. All that it takes for that to happen is you to apply yourself to it and for the Spirit of God to be revealing to us deeper truths about who God is. Let me, let me land the plane for a second and simply just say this. God's Word should be the greatest source of influence in our lives. Because this book has a written account of the trustworthiness of God's character. And God loves to use the pages of Scripture to teach us more and more about ourselves and ultimately about Him. The foundation of our lives should be built upon God's teaching and God's Word. When I was a kid, I used to love going to my grandpa's house. Anyone here love to go to their grandpa's house? Yeah? Ice cream, all the things, right? Um, when I was a kid, I would go to my grandfather's house, and I loved going because ice cream and all the things. My grandpa lived on a hill above the beach in San Clemente. He had a 180-degree view of the ocean. He bought this house in the 40s for like $30,000. Pretty incredible. And I used to love going over there. He was a pool builder, and he had a pool in his backyard, and you could swim in the pool, and you could look out and see the ocean. Well, one day I went to my grandfather's house. He, he has since passed, but I went to his house, and I noticed that the pool was empty. And I said, Grandpa, why is the pool empty? And he said, well, we got a big problem. The house is sliding off the hill. I was like, oh, man, that's like a big problem. We need to, like, tie it up. Like, what can we do, you know? And he's like, no, what they have to do is they have to dig down deep under the foundation of the house. And they have to fill it full of rock and concrete to anchor it to the part of the hill that's not slipping downhill. He's like, it's going to cost more, like three times more than this house ever costs. But when they're done, it will not move. It won't slip. I oftentimes think of that when, I, when I'm reminded of Scripture. That God's Word has the ability to form for us a strong foundation, and to bring it full circle, to give us room and opportunity on this side of heaven to long for and to hope for a day where those of us who are followers of Jesus can be reunited with him. You see, the Pharisees, the Levites, and John the Baptist himself knew to be looking for a Savior because they'd read about him. My hope and prayer is that this week you can find the Bible to be trustworthy, so that you yourself have room to hope and long for Jesus in your own lives. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for these students, for their attention, for their kindness. Lord, I, I pray that as we talk about this magnificent tool that your spirit uses in so many different ways, 
Would you give us a hunger and a thirst for it? Would you help us to see past the parts that are confusing, the parts that are misunderstood? Give us a mind that is curious to ask questions. Would we be students of you and ultimately your word for all the days of our lives? Why? Because we want to be close to you, God. And this is the place where we get to learn about who you are. We love you. We thank you for this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.